Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Welcome back, short-term shoppers. Today, we have a friend and client of ours here at the short-term shop, Kale Delaney. Kale, how's it going? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Avery. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Start off with just kind of giving us a brief background of how you got into real estate investing and what your portfolio looks like now. Sure, yeah. So uh, I've been kind of in real estate, I guess you could say, for for a while. Um, but just not really active or intentional. Um, you know, what I mean by that is kind of when I, I graduated from college, uh, actually with an engineering degree and, uh, I realized I didn't want to do engineering and I had an interest in real estate and investing in particular. And so actually when I graduated, I started working as a commercial real estate investment broker, uh, for a large firm down in Miami, Florida. And, we sold, uh, I, I specialized in small multifamily properties um, in an exclusive market down in South Florida. Um, but we also sold retail, commercial, industrial, I mean, pretty much everything, uh, everything except residential. Um, and so I did that actually for about two years. Uh, it was a great experience, just awful timing. Uh, you know, it's 2006 to 2008. And so when, of course, the, the market started drying up in 08, uh, I decided to jump ship on that, um, you know, with the actual brokerage part of the job. I was not crazy about uh, cold calling is really not th something I enjoy. And uh, so, yeah, when that whole chain of events started happening, I decided, you know, th this is just not uh, not the right path for me right now. And so I jumped ship on that and ended up going into construction management, um, which was just kind of the next logical step to use my degree. And and so that's what I've been doing and currently still do uh, for the past 13 years um, working in construction management. But, you know, so I had that I had that early start in commercial real estate investing. And from there, I, I kind of, again, just without real intention, intent uh, was still in real estate and that uh, I've always house hacked, um, you know, since uh, forever. Honestly, uh, I still house hack, you know, we were a family of five and we still rent out a room in our house. Um, so I've done that always, whenever I would rent a place, I would rent a two bedroom apartment and, and rent out one of the bedrooms. Right. Um, so I've always done that. And, you know, I bought my first house when I was, I think 25. Um, and that thankfully was good timing. That was 2009. And, uh, you know, again, I house hacked that. And then when I moved out of there, uh, we turned it into a, a full-time rental, uh, as a long-term. And, uh, so, I mean, again, I've been in it for a long time, but, it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I really decided that, you know, real estate investing is what I want to do. Uh, that's how I'm going to, you know, grow my, my generational wealth and, uh, and build a business. And so January, 2020, really, I kind of flicked that switch in my brain and said, you know, this is it, we're going to do something. And uh, that's when I started taking action. And from there, it's all kind of moved really quick. Uh, again, that was January, 2020. I made that decision. And I started doing all my analyses, pick my market. I thought I was going to be in small multifamily. That, that was kind of the path that I was thinking. 
And so uh, in June of that year, we closed on the first property, which is a fourplex uh, locally in South Florida, close to the beach, um, which we still have now. And after that, I kind of had a little bit of the shiny object object syndrome. Uh, you know, I wasn't really thrilled with the returns on that. And it was a real pain in the butt property. Um, and so I was looking for different avenues and looked into, you know, self-storage, uh, residential assisted living, uh, you know, syndications with larger multifamily and just all these different things. And it really wasn't until it was actually the week before Thanksgiving on uh, last year, I happened to hear uh, one of the the real estate rookie podcasts um, where uh, the host, you know, Tony Robinson, who, you know, he's a member of the, the short term shop as well. I was describing his cabins in the Smokies and I heard that and I was like, man, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, I don't even know where the Smokies are, but, <laughs> you know, I'd love to have a cabin in the mountains. <laughs> and uh, so literally after that podcast, I looked on Google Maps, you know, how far, where are the Smoky Mountains? And it was like a 14 hour drive for me. And I had scheduled work or a vacation already for Thanksgiving week. We didn't have plans, though. And so I I told my wife, I was like, hey, yeah, why don't we take a trip to the mountains? You know, let's go take a look at some properties. And we literally packed up the minivan to the brim um, and drove out there for what turned out to be about a 17 hour drive. Uh, and along that way, uh, I actually I looked on the Bigger Pockets forum and found that's where I found you, Avery. Um, and actually, I reached out to you while we were driving. And um, I know you, you connected me with uh, with Derek and then. We went out there, looked at properties, um, you know, for that week, came back. And three weeks later, we were under contract on the first cabin. And, and now we have four. So uh, the four cabins put you at 10 doors total? Yes, correct. So it's uh, the four cabins. Uh, we have that fourplex as well in Florida, which we actually converted one of those units to a, a short-term rental earlier this year. Uh, and Excellent. Uh, it went from... 1400 a month in rent to grossing about four to 5,000 a month. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. And what city is that in? Uh, Lake Worth Beach. It's uh, in Palm Beach County, Florida. Um, just a small, small uh, little beachy type town. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we have five, ultimately have five long terms uh, and five short terms right now. Awesome. I'm a big fan of having a diverse portfolio and not just throwing everything into one asset class. Uh, right. I've mentioned this on the show before, but last year when COVID happened, we thought, oh, well, something bad's going to happen to all the short terms. So I'm really glad we have all these long terms. And even though that ended up being the opposite case that the short terms boomed and we had to worry about the long terms because the eviction moratorium, right. it just feels good and comfortable to know that only one asset class was was affected and that you had this other asset class to kind of catch any sort of, you know, falling of the other asset class. So I'm a big fan of having a diverse portfolio. And a lot of people ask me, well, if, sh if short term rentals are so great, why do you have so many long terms? <laughs> because <laughs> why don't you just only buy short term if they make so much money? Because I use the short terms as cash flow turbochargers to buy a lot more of the the more passive stuff. So right. I think that's really cool that you're already, you know, half and half. 
Right. Yeah. And, you know, it ultimately comes down to your goals, right? You know, I mean, the short terms, like you said, are awesome for giving you that that boost and that cash flow and, you know, meeting, you know, whatever cash flow goals you might have. And then once you meet those goals, um, yeah, diversifying and hedging yourself with some some long terms or some other some other type of assets is definitely a good idea. It sounds like you have a pretty hectic job. So senior project manager for a big construction company, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about because you self-manage like most short-term shoppers. So tell me a little bit about what that looks like having such a hectic job and managing short term for short-term rentals remotely. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> um, actually, just before this, uh, this uh, podcast here, I got a call from uh, that, uh, I guess a bear got into some of the trash at one of our cabins. And, and <laughs> so there's always something fun, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy at all. Uh, you know, I am, I'm extremely busy. Um, you know, so the, yeah, my job is typically 10, you know, 10 hours, 10 hour days, uh, with the W2 job. And then, you know, again, we have a family of five, you know, three kids, 10, seven, and almost two. Um, and then of course all the properties. So yeah, it is, it is tough. Uh, you know, I try my best to, um, you know, block out time and, and schedule things. So, I mean, time management is, is big with me. Uh, so, I mean, I start my, my days really, really early. You know, I, I do, I get up at quarter to five and do my own little miracle morning type deal. Uh, you know, go to the gym and everything and try to get all that stuff out of the way before, before I start my, my day job and, um, you know, disperse throughout the day, you know, of course, as things come up with the properties, or if I need to, you know, address something, you know, I can do that rather quickly. And then in the evenings, I, I take time to address things, um, you know, tweaking the listings and things like that. But I mean, ultimately, the, the short term rentals, uh, and self managing is really not as bad as uh, I think most people think and I and at what I thought before I get into it. Um, you know, it is a lot of work on the front end and getting things set up. I mean, the first at least for me, you know, the first couple of weeks is probably, you know, once you close on the property is probably the, the toughest. That's when you're trying to get everything set up, get your listing active, get your photo, you know, all this coordination, get your team in place. Uh, but once it's up and running, it's, it's really not bad at all. I mean, you know, you can, you can spend half an hour a day if you want. Uh, you know, some days of course are going to be a little more if there's, if there's challenges, but it's really not as bad as you, as you might think. So in terms of self-managing remotely, um, anyone can do it. I mean, literally anyone can do it. If you have a phone, if you have, if you have an internet connection, um, then you can, you can handle it. And, you know, you can set your, your hours in terms of communication with guests. Um, you know, that's something I'm still working on. You know, I kind of tend to respond a little too much or too quickly, I think, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to limit that a little more, but yeah, I mean, you can really tailor it and, and the more you treat it like a business, uh, the less and less time it's, it's really going to take from you. I agree. And a lot of people, they are so worried about how much work it's going to be and oh, short-term rentals are so much work and they are work. It's a lot of work to set up the systems, but it's not really yeah. that much work to maintain the systems as you know, once they're set up, it's certainly not a set it and forget it type thing. That's kind of what my long terms are, but right. 
it's definitely a, you're just kind of pulling the strings of the systems and you're not, you know, I, I don't really even call it like hardcore managing it. You're just managing the systems. Right. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, getting your team set up that that's really the biggest thing. Um, you know, your cleaners, your handyman. Um, and you know, once you have that, that good boots on the ground team in place, I mean, they're, I mean, really, they they do the brunt of things, right? I mean, you're there to coordinate and, and handle issues, you know, when they come up and communicate with guests. So, um, you know, it, it comes and it comes and goes. Um, you know, if you got during real busy season, you know, of course, you'll be communicating a lot with the guests. Things are going to come up a lot more. Um, then you have your shoulder seasons and all that stuff. So it just it, it comes and goes, but it's it's really not as bad as as one might think. Let's switch gears and talk about the analysis. So you are someone who used to be a commercial real estate broker. So you've lived in that world before. And so you understand that with commercial properties, they kind of fit much more nicely into spreadsheets and boxes than short-term rentals do. And I found that a lot of investors who are coming from commercial into short-term have a really difficult time with the fact that managing short or sorry, analyzing short terms is really more of a range and it doesn't fit nicely into a box. What has been your experience with that coming from commercial into short term? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, even not even just commercial, but even just long term and rental analysis, you know, kind of follows the similar patterns. And, you know, you look for, you know, one of your, your big uh, diagnostics is your cap rate, right? You know, that, that's what you want to know. You know. What's the cap rate on this property? You know, what's your NOI? Um, and yeah, if you're, especially with commercial, you know, that that's typically larger type properties, larger type investors. And yeah, they're looking at a spreadsheet and a final number. You know, they don't really care necessarily about the property itself. Uh, it, it's as long as it's in the market that they're in and it, it ticks off the numbers uh, that they're looking for, then, you know, it's a deal. There's no emotional aspects to it. It's it's purely a financial deal. Um, you know the long terms follow that that similar pattern, but you know that's again your your smaller investors, individuals like myself, and you know you can get a little bit of the emotions attached in that you know that part of the game as well. But yeah, I mean you're you're looking more for uh, like I said, what are your what are your cap rate? What's your NOI? What's your return on investment going to be? Um, you're looking for exit strategies. Uh, you know, are you going to you're going to get out of this in five to seven years. Are you going to, you know, force equity by, you know, building, you know, building it out or remodeling or, or renovating. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of more intricate aspects that uh, people would be looking for in those types of asset classes. Short-term rentals is, yeah, it's a whole nother ball game. Um, you know, I even, when I first started looking at them uh, you know, I had my nice little spreadsheet for analyzing long-term rentals and, trying to plug in the numbers and you know it's just like well okay well the revenue could be this or it could be this like i mean that you know one one way or the other can be a huge a huge difference you know my expenses could be this they could be that i mean it's there there's there's just a lot more like you said of a range to them and uh it really i guess what i'm seeing uh is that it really comes down to once you get in it you'll, you'll understand it. Um, it, it definitely is hard to make that bit of a, a 180 degree turn on how you look at things. Um, you know, one thing for me, uh, especially when I first started looking was, uh, especially in the Smokies market or any really established short-term market is 
the sticker shock, you know, right. The, the price of the properties, these things are expensive. Um, you know, and for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very frugal person <laughs> in general, you know, very, uh, with my personal finances. And so when I first started looking at these properties and seeing the prices, I was like, man, you know, even more than double what I, you know, what I paid for my house, like, you know, am I going to really spend that much money on a, you know, on a property I'm never going to, you know, go to or very rarely go to. And so it took me a little bit to get over that sticker shock. And then just talking with, uh, you know, the agents, talking with other other uh, investors and owners and understanding the, the revenue ranges um, that each size property will bring. Uh, and then from there, you just look at, you know, I think the cash on cash return is is what most short term renters uh, or short term owners rather uh, focus on. And everybody's got their their own goal, um, you know, kind of the goal that I adopted, which was just more so from hearing what other people thought was a good deal was, uh, you know, a minimum of 20 percent cash on cash return, um, which is getting tougher. Uh, but they're they're definitely still out there. And. I can just say that when I underwrote my first cabin, um, I try to underwrite very conservatively anyway. And so I, I used the lower end of the revenue uh, for my my analysis. And I mean, it's it's blown it way, way, way beyond expectations. So um, yeah, you really just got to understand that it's, you can't look at the general dynamics and, and of your analysis. You got to look at, um, you know, really what's your goal for, for your return. And if it meets it, you know, don't worry about the purchase price. Don't worry about what it sold for before. If it meets those numbers, go for it. So let's talk about that for a minute, because you have bought four properties in the past eight months that have a pretty significant price tag on them. So can you tell us yeah. a little bit about how you did that, what you did to finance and scale that so quickly? Sure. Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, kind of the, the sticker shock was one thing I had to get over. Uh, another thing I had to get over, which honestly, I don't know if I'm over yet, <laughs> is the with this these markets being so competitive that, uh, you know, you're going to hear everybody tell you that you're going to have to uh, offer above above ask. Right. And I mean, it's a it's a feeding frenzy when these listings come right on the market. You know, there's going to be multiple offers um, and, and it's it's a bit intimidating, honestly, uh, when you first when you first jump in, at least it was for me. And so I kind of I kind of had to adopt or find something that was going to work for me um, and you know, kind of given away, I guess, my little secret now. But, uh, you know, I started looking at at listings that had been on the market for a little bit um, and because I, I saw that when these properties come on the market the first week or the first few days, especially, I mean, it's like, like I said, it's like a feeding frenzy. I mean, it's just, everybody's all over them, but once they're out of that limelight in the first week or maybe two weeks, uh, they kind of seem a little stale, I think. And so I started looking at properties that have been out there for a few weeks and, um, I happened to see this one and, uh, you know, I asked my, my agent about it and, you know, he talked to a listing agent, went out there, sh shot me a video and, uh, you know, he said, yeah, you know, it doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. I, I really don't know why it's been on the market for this long. And, um, you know, so I kind of, 
I even kind of sat on it a little bit still intentionally because I was still trying to process and get over spending this much money and, and all these things. And, and, um, you know, I said, okay, you know, if it's, if it's meant to be, it'll be, if it's, if it sells and it's not, then okay, you know, I'll find another one. And so I let it sit probably actually for a week. And then I said, all right, let's, let's pull the trigger. And we actually offered below, below list and, uh, they accepted it. And from there, I kind of, I guess it was a bit of luck and stumbling upon that, that first deal because the owner, uh, their family actually owned the two next door cabins and they were looking to sell. And so, you know, we found that out. And after closing on the first one, we immediately negotiated with them off market to purchase the, the other two. And so that's how we got those first three real quick. Uh, and then the fourth one, we just closed on uh, like three weeks ago, actually. Uh, but it was a similar strategy, uh, looking at uh, ones that had been on the market for a while. And we got it below list price uh, as well. So I guess I've been fortunate. I actually haven't paid list price. I've paid below on all mine. Um, but uh, as far as financing, um, the first one, we did a 10% down second home loan. Um, and the second two uh, was a conventional 15% uh, down investment loan, or actually the next three, those were all 15% down investment loans. And for down payment funds, um, you know, again, like I mentioned before, I've been very frugal and very financially responsible. Uh, so, you know, I, I've, I've saved for many, many, many years, um, just hadn't really done anything with it. Right. And so, you know, thankfully I had, I had the funds saved up for, for most of it. Um, I did use some things. I took out a HELOC on one of my investment properties, one of the long-term rentals, um, right before the pandemic, I was actually the last HELOC that they approved before the pandemic and they, they shut down HELOCs. <laughs> um, so I used actually the HELOC to pay for the down payment on two of the cabins. So ultimately I have zero, zero out of pocket on two cabins. Um, and then the last one, I last one, I took out a, uh, 401k loan, uh, for partial, uh, on the down payment on that one as well. Those are all great strategies. I've used a few of those myself, the HELOC and the 401k loan. And um, people I think don't understand you, you can pay your 401k back if you take a yeah. loan. You, you're not just necessarily taking a withdrawal. It's a loan against the 401k that you can pay back. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So let's zoom in on your strategy of properties that are sitting on market for a while, because I, as an agent, definitely have some comments on this. So the number one reason that a property sits on the market is because it's overpriced, which is really easy to do in a market that's as fast as this one is. Because when I go to do a listing appointment with a potential seller, the way the market is right now, I say, this is probably what it's going to appraise for, this price here. But we can probably get someone to pay this price, which is typically you know, X amount over what it'll probably appraise for. So just know that if we list it for the price, we think people are going to pay for it and we get that, it doesn't mean that it's going to appraise for that. Okay. Now, sellers have been conditioned to get a little greedy the way the market is right now. <laughs> and I've had a few, you know, also what I'll do is I'll say, you will most likely net more. You will get a higher purchase price if you let me price it 
publicly for the what will probably appraise for because there are so many buyers they'll bid each other up and bid each other yeah, up exactly right yeah they get so caught up in winning that you know if it was a five hundred thousand dollar property and they've bid it up to six hundred thousand in their brains it's still a five hundred thousand dollar property and they're getting a great deal they don't right. realize that they've bid it up <clears throat> so i will tell them we need to list you will get more money if you list for the appraisal price and not what we will probably end up with. But some of them say, well, no, why would I do that? I'm going to list for the highest price possible and see if we can get any bites. And what happens is when you list something for way too much money and it doesn't start getting offers immediately, everybody, all the buyers in the market start giving it the side eye and think, what's wrong with this? And Really, there's nothing wrong with it, but the seller just said, well, I want to go on a fishing expedition and list it as high as possible and see how many bites I get. And that is so detrimental to the uh, what could be a good listing because mm -hmm. within a matter of days, the way the market is right now, if a property is on the market for just a few days, sometimes people are like, there's something wrong with this. And right. then they just scroll past it and they don't bother offering. They don't bother throwing out offers so that the seller can see what we get, quote, because they think, oh, there's something wrong with it. They don't think, oh, let me just see what they'll take. They just scroll right past. So it's like, that's the biggest mistake you can make as a seller is listing your property for too high because everyone will just scroll past and assume something's wrong. So that's a really good strategy as a buyer because there can be a lot of really great diamonds in the rough just because the seller overpriced it. And it doesn't mean that they won't accept a lower number after it's been on the market for a little while. Once the market tells them, hey, you screwed this up, a lot of times they will take less. So that's a really, really smart strategy because most of the time there is nothing wrong with it. It's a perfectly good property that you have just gotten because you didn't just scroll past like everybody else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I've been fortunate in that, uh, you know, like I said, they've, they've all, you know, been offered or below list or, or off market, even, you know, even the off market ones, we negotiated them down a bit on those and, um, everything's appraised for more than, uh, than I purchased them for, uh, which is nice to have that like, instant equity. That almost um, never happens, by the way, y'all. <laughs> Don't expect things to... They have a way of magically appraising for the exactly the purchase right. price for like $3,000 over. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, my, I, I, I'd like to think that there was some, there was some type of, uh, uh, you know, smarts that went into, into uh, what I've gotten. You know, I think a lot of it really was part of luck <laughs> as well. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of the what you were just commenting on and, and sellers listing their properties. I mean, yeah, when I, when I worked in the commercial sales as well, I mean, the same, same exact things, you know, and that was always a struggle with when you're trying to list the property is, you know, the seller wants X, you tell them it's really worth Y, but you know, they want to test it out at X. And, and just like you said, it'll get on the market and just sit stale. And then, you know, two months later, you know, it's not like the short-term rent market where they're gone in a couple of days, but you know, two months later when it's still on the market, then they finally start coming to their senses and, and lowering the price. But by that time, you know, it's kind of got that, that stale feel to it already. So yeah, it can definitely hurt the seller a lot. Absolutely. So talk to me about being intentional with your investing and how you have, what steps have you taken to be intentional with your investing in short-term rentals? Right. Uh, well, I think it, I mean, for me, it goes beyond just with uh, the real estate. Um, 
you know, I, like I had mentioned, I, I've been intentional or, or responsible, I guess I, I like to say with my finances since, since the beginning. I mean, it's just kind of something I've developed uh, for myself, um, you know, growing up, uh, we're not a, a wealthy family and, you know, frankly, I kind of grew up with a, a scarcity or a, you know, a scarcity mentality, um, you know, and I still struggle with that a lot. And so I've always been a big saver, um, just for, again, from, from the, being a kid, I've always been a big saver. Um, and then from there, I just follow common sense. I guess what I see as common sense, you know, live below your means, look for, look for ways to, uh, you know, bring in additional, additional revenue, creative things, side hustles. Uh, I mentioned the house hacking. I mean, again, I, I'm, you know, a lot of people probably, you know, look at this as, is pretty silly or crazy, but I mean, I'm 37 years old, married with three kids and, and we, we house hack. I mean, uh, you, you gotta make sacrifices if you really want to, uh, you really want to move fast. Uh, so, you know, I, I try to do that. Um, you know, again, live below your means. Uh, I've always had some type of side hustle. I mean, before I was doing the real estate, uh, like I am now, I mean, I do small things like flip cars, you know, or, or motorcycles, you know, whenever I bought anything, even my daily driver, uh, vehicle, I look at it as, as a deal, you know, I'm going to try to find something that I can drive for one or two years and sell it for what I bought it for or make a little bit of money. You know, I just, that's my mentality with everything I do. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I buy a lot of stuff used, you know, uh, I just look for all these avenues to try to save money or, or generate additional revenue. And so over the years, like I said, I've saved a lot, you know, saved a lot. Um, I've done investing in other assets. I mean, stocks, uh, I've been starting to get into precious metals, uh, over the past, uh, year and a half or so as well. Um, so I've, you know, I've done different types of investing, but again, nothing was intentional with a goal in mind. And it really wasn't until, like I said, I had that real mental switch, uh, in January, 2020 that I've started getting intentional about things. And I think it was really just, um, you know, we had our, our youngest one, uh, in October of 19. And, uh, after that, it was just kind of it was a bit of a life-changing thing, you know, for me and just starting to really think of the future and building wealth. Uh, and, and so, you know, once we had him and, and I started thinking about that more, uh, I think like every, everybody does, you know, I read rich dad, poor dad, and it just kind of like cemented that mindset of, okay, you know what? I can't be an employee for the rest of my life. I mean, this is just, uh, this is not the life that I want to live. Um, so I need to start doing something about it. And so I, I just made that mental, that mental switch, that mental focus. And I created a goal, um, which, you know, now looking at my initial goals and, and how quickly I've blown through them, uh, you know, because of coming into the short-term rentals, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing, but I had set, you know, some income goals, um, I had set, you know, timeframes and, you know, once I met those, you know, I boosted those up and then I crashed through those and it's just been a crazy ride since I got into the, the short-term rentals. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I set that goal and I set my why. Right. And, and I think that's a very important thing that people need to do. 
is have a have a real strong why you know a reason that you're going to do it because it, i mean i know we talked about that you know self-managing isn't isn't necessarily that much work and stuff but you know real estate or investing or any anything like this where you're kind of doing something different than the conventional wisdom tells you you should do you're going to run into challenges it's going to be difficult um it might be because of time constraints or, you know, the challenges that you're going to run into, but you're going to come into times where you're going to be like, this stinks. <laughs> like, why, why did I get myself into this? And if you don't have a real strong why and reason for doing it, it can be easy to give up. Um, I mean, you know, uh, just to be open here. I mean, this, this past August, honestly, was probably the hardest the hardest month I've had since I've started or gotten into the real estate over the past, you know, one and a half years. I mean, it was just so many things, <laughs> so many things going wrong, uh, you know, both personally and professionally and, and with the business and all at once. And it was, it was a struggle. And, um, and if I didn't have that, why it would have been very easy to say, you know what, fine, this is it. I'm done. I'm good where I'm at. No more. Um, but if you have that real strong why, you'll persevere. Um, you know, now that a lot of those challenges are kind of fixed, uh, I'm eager now. I'm getting the bug again to you know, start start moving forward again. I just gotta I just gotta get more time now. That's my biggest constraint. <laughs> really, really great advice. So we're coming to the end of the show, and I have three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the show, kind of related to what you've just been talking about. But the first one is what advice would you give 20 year old kale about investing knowing what you know now yeah uh, a couple things i mean one one of course is just like everybody would say i'm sure is start now <laughs> you know don't don't wait you don't need to you know you don't need to have everything figured out uh the best experience is going to be doing it uh, that's how you're going to learn it, really. I mean, you can read all the books you want, listen to all the podcasts you want. Until you do it, you're really not going to know it. And so don't wait. I mean, if I was 20 years old and I started doing this intentionally like I am now, I mean, my goodness, I'd be in a, a much different place than I than I am now. So that would certainly be the first one. And, you know, it's really awesome, actually, uh, that you know, again, with the, the short-term shop group and, you know, the Facebook group and the, the support of all the, all the uh, owners and investors within the group, you get to see a lot of people's journeys. And I saw recently, um, I think this past week, you know, one of the, one of the guys closed on his first cabin and he's 24 years old. Uh, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I mean, 24 years old and buying your first short-term rental cabin in the Smokies. I mean, that, that's just setting yourself up for success right there. Um, so yeah, start young. And the other thing, and I talked to my kids about this, is you don't need to follow the conventional wisdom and, and do what everybody tells you that you need to do. You don't, you don't need to go to college, get a job that you're probably not going to like. I mean, a majority of people don't enjoy the jobs they do. Uh, you know, invest in a 401k and mutual funds and hopefully retire on a fixed income when you're 65 or 70 years old. I mean, that, that's the story that society tells us is, is normal. And it's scary to break out of that. It really is. Um, but you don't need to follow that path. I mean, look at the people who truly are successful. And nine out of 10 times, 
they're not going to be following that that quote unquote conventional wisdom. So those those are what I would tell myself. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Uh, kind of along the same lines, but slightly different. What advice would you give other newbies who are looking to get into investing right now? Yeah, take action. I mean, again, don't don't get caught up in that that analysis paralysis. I mean, you hear that that phrase a lot. It's it's real. Um, but yeah, just take action. I mean, do your due diligence. You know, um, pick your pick your market. Understand your market. Start you know analyzing deals. See you know get a feel for things and. For me, I, my litmus test is is I like to get to the point where I can at least kind of understand the market enough to do a back of the napkin uh, analysis on it, meaning, you know, I can look at the price and I can look at the property and I can quickly say, okay, that probably makes sense or it doesn't, right? And for me, I guess when I get to that point in understanding the market, that's when I've, I know that I'm ready to go. And, you know, that can be when you're very, very new, I mean, yeah, it's going to take you a little bit longer. You're going to need to analyze more deals to really understand how the process works. But as you, as you continue, you'll, you'll be able to develop that a lot more quickly. So yeah, biggest thing would just be take action. You know, it's going to be scary. You're going to make mistakes. You don't need to have your first property make you a millionaire. Um, you know, and even if your first deal is not a good deal, do not let that discourage you, you know, you know, uh, you know, find a way to, to manage it and, and move on to the next one. Um, but yeah, just don't, don't get stuck. Uh, just, just move forward. Also great advice. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Yeah. And I, I hate to say it cause it's just the cliche book, you know, but mm -hmm. it really is. I mean, no. yeah, I know, but I'll give you a second one though to go with it. So, uh, rich dad, poor dad, I mean, uh, it's it's that much of a cliche because it's that valuable. Yes, it is. Yeah, right. it is. You're right. You, know? <laughs> you are totally uh, right. It's just, you know, and you got to, I think you have to read it at the right time in your life as well, because it is a big mindset shift. Um, and it goes back to just getting out of that kind of conventional wisdom track that I was talking about before. And if you're not ready for it, you can easily read through it and be like, eh, you know, okay, sounds good. But when you are ready for it and you read that book, it's like, you know, getting hit in the face with a brick. You're like, oh, my gosh, like, what have I been doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, so that book, definitely. And another one, which which it's kind of in contrast a bit to to the rich dad, poor dad. But um, it goes back to just the basics of financial responsibility uh, is it was actually called Automatic Millionaire and. I can't remember who wrote it, honestly. Um, I, I meant to look it up. One. Yeah, I meant to look it up before this, and I got caught up. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the automatic millionaire, and it's kind of a it's a book that follows along with like the Dave Ramsey philosophy. Um, I'm sure you're familiar. I'm sure you're familiar oh, yeah. with that. But it's uh, you know it, it's it's it is more along that that normal conventional wisdom mindset, but it also teaches the what I what I like to call just common sense with finances. And that's again, the living below your means, look for ways to, you know, make additional money look for ways to, um, you know, turn things from liabilities into assets and, you know, plan for the future and, and invest in some type of way. Right. So 
that one I think was kind of just foundational for me in terms of, and, and goes along with just by nature, how I look at my finances. And, and so I think that's important for having a basis and a foundation like that. But, you know, again, when it comes to uh, where you're going to invest and how you're going to invest and how you're going to treat and use debt, that's where I cut the cord with, with those type books and philosophies and, and go more so with the, the rich dad, poor dad philosophy. And, you know, let's use, let's use debt as your friend. Right. I agree with that. I was a big Dave Ramsey follower before we got into real estate investing and deep down in there, I still am kind of like, I like having that money in the bank, but I know it's not doing anything for me right. sitting right there. So it, I had a hard time letting go of that, but you're exactly right. Um, the, there, I mean, he's got a few points, but those are, I think, mostly for people who are trying to live that conventional nine to five until you retire at 70 and that's it kind of right. philosophy. So 100% agree. Well, Kale, thank you so, so much for coming on. And where can people find you if they want to chat with you? Yeah, so... Um... Social media is uh, an area of improvement for me. <laughs> um, you know, I, you say, I don't get a hold of me. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, you know, I am, I am in the um, well uh, for short-term shop uh, uh, members. I, I'm very active in in that group. Um, you know, Instagram. Uh, we did just recently create an Instagram page for our our properties, um, which uh, I need to start using shorter titles mm -hmm. for for everything. But our Instagram handle for that is. Uh, uh, mountain uh, MTN two uh, C cabins and cottages with the underscore underscore between each uh, each word. Uh, that's our page for our, our properties, um, and you can uh, reach me there or uh, through Facebook in general. Uh, just Kale Delaney, uh, you know, I'll be more than more than happy to respond. Awesome. And we do actually now have a public group for non-short-term right, yeah. shop clients called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, the same name of my book. So if you are not a short-term shop client, you can join us there for the conversation. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a member of that group too. So yeah, you can reach out to me through there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kale. We'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks, Avery.